Hey listeners, we are Frontline Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You are about to listen to a sermon from a Sunday gathering at our downtown OKC location. We pray that it moves you towards the power and presence of Christ and calls you to love God, love people, and push back darkness. Please visit FrontlineChurch.com for more information. The scripture for today's sermon comes from Acts 9, 31. The word of God speaks to us. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is God's word to us. Amen. Thanks, Alyssa. Guys, good morning. I'm so stinking proud of you guys right now. I was completely prepared for today to be me and Charlie Hall. And uh, it made me really happy that you guys showed up. So thanks for being here. I, I woke up this morning and saw all the cancellations and uh, initially just went really dark and cynical and made fun of OU and all the sissy churches that canceled with no, precip- with no precipitation following whatsoever. I questioned whether or not it was the plastic in our water bottles that are making us so weak. And, uh, and, then, and then at the very same time, I was like, I wonder if I could call in sick today. Kevin Colley is a better preacher than me. I'm sure he's ready to go. Um, but we're here, and I'm glad that you guys are here. This, this weekend was really fun. Yesterday, we got together with community group leaders from all over our church, and uh, we got to talk about the church as the family of God, and we leaned into what it would look like for the men and women of our church to grow and mature into mature spiritual moms and dads, and what it would look like for us to relate men and women as brothers and sisters. And it was just so stinking fun. So uh, thanks for being here. If you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter nine, and uh, we're gonna cover one verse today. I'm gonna pray for you, you guys pray for me, and we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for your kindness in this new year. Thank you for new mercies. Thank you for your heart that's towards us in Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in our city. God, we want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to bless what you're doing. We want our lives to be spent for your glory. And we thank you for what you're doing globally. We thank you that all across this planet today, people have gathered together in living rooms and in church buildings and in basements and in villages and large cities to worship Jesus. We thank you that we get to be a part of that. We pray today as we talk about our mission as a church, we ask that you would deliver us from trying to be novel or hip or cool, but we ask instead, Lord, that you would make us faithful, that we'd be a part of the stream of what you've been doing since the very beginning, that our lives would be caught up into the goodness and grace of Jesus today in fresh ways. We love you and we need you and we pray all this in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, So throughout the course of the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about our mission as a church. Our mission is to multiply gospel communities that love God, love people and push back darkness. And when you think about our mission as a church, I'm reminded of kind of the nuclear arms race that took place in the 90s and 2000s in evangelical churches to try to be relevant and cool in the midst of culture. Uh, I was a part of it. We had this really mistaken notion that if the church was just hipper, if we were just cooler, if we were just more like the world, then people would see Christians and be like, well, you guys aren't as dorky as I thought you were. You, you, You have pyrotechnics and you have 
pastors being lowered on cables into your sermons. And uh, because of all these things, tell me about the hope that you have for eternal life. And, And slowly but surely over time, we started to realize that we could do all those things and Christians were still dorks. We were still nerds. And what the world needed was not for us to try to reflect back changing cultural dynamics of hipness, but what the world needs is something timeless and rooted and powerful that began 2,000 years ago with the resurrection of Jesus that's still happening all around us because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that we get invited into. So as we talk about our mission as a church, it's not just that we want to serve those of you guys that are new to our church so that you can know who we are as a people and what sort of shapes and forms our collective identity. More than anything, we want the mission of our church to highlight the personal work of Jesus, what he's done and what he's doing and how we get to participate and how every single person gets invited to put their trust in Jesus and get to play to actually be a component, a part of a living vital member of the body of Jesus and what he's doing in history. So today we wanna talk about what it means to be a gospel community. And in particular, what does it mean to multiply gospel communities? We live in this really weird moment where a lot of things in our culture are changing. Things are shifting. And if you read any sociological data, what you'll find is that more and more Americans are mistrusting of institutions More and more Americans are disconnected from deep relationships, and more and more Americans are profoundly lonely as we buy into the quest for ever-increasing freedom, freedom from restraint, freedom from responsibility, freedom from anything that could restrict us or tell us no, and the result of all that freedom is that we're kind of dying. We're lonely we're disconnected and we lack a sense of what our lives are about. And so as we talk about gospel communities, we're not talking about the weird thing that's happened in OKC over the course of the last 10 years in which our loneliness has led to sort of pseudo communities that are a mile wide and an inch deep. Like there's all kinds of things all around us that sort of pretend to be authentic community. And and they're not all necessarily bad. There's numerous clubs that you could join. You could be involved in community at your dog park. There's multiple restaurants and bars that now have community in their mission statement as if for the price of a $14 cocktail, you could truly be known. What we want to talk about today is a different kind of community that was countercultural 2,000 years ago, and it's equally countercultural today, namely gospel community, community that's formed by Jesus, that's fueled by Jesus, that's empowered by Jesus, and that is with Jesus. And, And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what we want you to hear today so clearly is that the relational God that created all things a God who didn't exist in solitary loneliness before he created the universe, but a God who in himself has always been a community of perfect love and delight. Out of the overflow of his goodness and grace, he created all things and he made human beings to be relational beings that would reflect his glory that we were made for a relationship. We were made to know and to be known. And so much of the heart of the church is to invite people into the kind of transformation that happens when people are gathered together, not by themselves, but in the presence of the living God. So what does it mean to be a gospel community? Let me read Acts chapter nine, verse 31, and we'll talk about it. 
This is an awesome moment in the book of Acts. Uh, if you've never read the book of Acts, I, I would just encourage you over the course of this year, read it. We're going to be talking a lot about the movement of Jesus in history as we get ready for our 20th birthday as a church next year. And in Acts chapter 9, what's happening is the momentum of what God was doing in the first century is gaining steam. More and more people are coming to faith in Jesus. The church is spreading out, and Luke describes it like this. He says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is a movement of God that's multiplying and growing throughout this region. And it's a movement that God is actually continuing today throughout planet Earth. So I want to give you five things to think about. When we talk about gospel community, when we gather together on a Sunday morning and get to experience belonging as the people of God, and when we scatter all over the city in community groups, what do we mean when we say gospel community? Five things. Number one, first of all, gospel community is marked by being under the authority of Jesus. Here's what... Luke tells us that they were walking in the fear of the Lord. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. The, the first mark of gospel community is the fear of the Lord. And it's hard to wrestle with what that means. We, we sort of encountered throughout our lives fear as this natural response to evil and devastating threats. The fear of the Lord is a little bit different than that. It's, it's not that we're terrified of God because he's threatened to destroy us. The fear of the Lord is a different dynamic where we actually see his glory, his power, and his majesty, and we stand in reverence and awe in front of him, and we begin to want his will more than anything else. If you skip back just a little bit, a few verses in chapter 9, we have a great description of the fear of the Lord. There's a guy who is literally a terrorist. He's persecuting the church of Jesus. He's breathing out threats and murder. He's going to Damascus to arrest men, men and women to try to snuff out the church of Jesus. And on the way to Damascus, the presence of God shows up. Jesus shows up in glory. And here's what happens starting in verse four. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And look what Saul says. He responded to Jesus by saying, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? This is really interesting because at this point in Saul's journey of following Jesus, he didn't have a lot of the answers about who Jesus really is. He doesn't yet know that Jesus is God in the flesh. He doesn't yet connect the dots that Jesus is the promised Messiah. There's so many gaps in his understanding, but the same thing that happened to John the beloved when he encountered the presence of the resurrected Jesus and he fell down like a dead man before the glory of Christ, that's exactly what Saul experiences. Jesus shows up and he doesn't know everything, but he knows enough to encounter this kind of power and weight and glory, perfect goodness to get it right when he says, who are you, Lord? Lord. Gospel community is marked by the first confession of every Christian and the earliest confession of the Christian church. Jesus is Lord. To be a gospel community is to be a group of people who are prone to wander, 
who get it wrong, who sin repeatedly, but who are fighting together to stand under the authority of Jesus, not as our life coach, not as our buddy, not as our therapist that we can fire at will, but to stand under the authority of Jesus as the resurrected King of Kings, to know him and to want his will more than we want anything else, to have our lives shaped when when Jesus speaks, we say, yes, sir. For a few years, I was in this really weird position where I was managing a large staff, but my boss was out of town for about six days out of the week. So imagine this is like pre-telecommuting. He wasn't communicating. He wasn't giving us instructions. He would just bounce all week long, and I would try to manage the staff, and then he would show back up for one day a week, and he was really opinionated about the decisions that we made in his absence. It was really frustrating. It was like this crazy bind where the boss is gone and the boss hasn't told us what to do, but then the boss shows back up and he has really clear opinions on everything that we did over the course of the last week. See, here's what's crazy about Jesus. Jesus is not an absentee CEO. He's not a boss that's gone. He's not on vacation in heaven until the second coming. Here's what Jesus has given us so that we can know his will and be shaped around his will. We have his spirit and we have his word. We have his spirit and we have his word. And the posture of people who surrender to Jesus, even though we kick against it, we fight against it, we wander away from it, the posture of people that want to follow Jesus in gospel community is not that we stand on his word as if we can do whatever we want to do with it. And it's not that we sort of let it be beside us and just use it when we find it helpful. Like, I like these four things that helps me maximize my potential. And these seven things I find burdensome. I'll just cut those out. I'll redact them like a CIA document. (laughs) But to be a gospel community is to be a group of people that stand under his word, that let it shape and form our practice and our affections and our habits and our relationships and the intimate details of our lives. And that's not something that I can do by myself because I need my friends in gospel community to remind me of Jesus's authority and his power and his goodness. And when I'm wandering away from him, I need people that love me enough to like open field tackle me because they care about my future. To be a gospel community is to be a people under Jesus. Number two, to be a gospel community is to be a group of people together because of Jesus. Look look what Luke points out. I really love this. He says the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Now, even though geographically those three different communities are really close together in terms of space, those three communities were also profoundly different. Judea was primarily Jewish, Galilee had a ton of Gentiles and Samaria was this really weird mix of sort of having Jewish beliefs and sort of integrating pagan beliefs of the day. So even though they were close together in terms of space, these are not three communities that wanted to jam together. Jews and Samaritans hated each other's guts. Jews and Gentiles didn't run together. They didn't eat together. And what we're having here through the work of Jesus because of his resurrection is the beginning of what's going to become explicit when we get to chapter 13, that they're being brought into a community where people that wouldn't love each other, that wouldn't engage each other, that wouldn't care about each other are being brought into a oneness 
that's not based on affinity, but that's based on the blood of Jesus. This is what's going to happen throughout the course of the New Testament. One of the greatest witnesses of the church in the Roman world was that slaves and freemen, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, the rich and the poor, were all brought together in Jesus, not because they had so much in common, but despite the fact that they had little in common to love each other and share a common life in the life of the church. See, here's what's crazy. We all love it when we meet somebody that thinks just like us, that digs the same music we like, that likes the same cinema, and that votes the same way because we like ourselves. Is that just me? I'm like, this guy's amazing. He loves bow hunting. He likes all the stuff I like to listen to. Early Merle Haggard, he thinks it's cool. I want to jam with that guy. But what happens in the local church that's different is that we're brought together even though we would have nothing in common to not just tolerate each other, but to actually delight in each other, to be brought near through the blood of Jesus. And in the course of 2024, an election year that's bound to be, as I said last week, a complete dumpster fire on multiple levels, one of my prayers for our church is that our ideologies and our political beliefs And all kinds of things that we've imported from the world would take a distant second to the primary identity of we are the people of God called to love each other and forgive each other and fight for one another. Gospel community bears witness, bears witness to the fact that there's not a Christian type. It's not a personality profile. God saves people out of Satanism. He saves people out of investment banking. God saves people. God saves people from the far right, from the far left. God saves people from the global south. God saves people from the industrialized north. God does what God wants to do, and he gets to demonstrate his beauty and his power in the diversity inside of his church where people get absolutely connected to something bigger than themselves. Thirdly, Gospel community is under Jesus. Gospel community is possible only through Jesus. Thirdly, and this is so important, gospel community is empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us that the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is really beautiful. The thing that makes the church special is not a particularly gifted preacher. It's not an awesome building. It's not the amount of money in the bank account. The thing that was special about the first century church and the thing that's special about the church today, the thing that makes the church unique is the presence of the living God. And there's a thousand things I love about our church. Like, I love you guys. I'm so proud of you. I love getting to run with our elders. I respect the guys that I get to pastor this church with. I love our deacons. I love our community group leaders. I love that we have an awesome hundred-year-old cathedral to worship Jesus in. But none of those things are the things that make this church unique or special. The thing that makes this church unique or special is that because of the resurrection of Jesus, God is here. He's filled his church with the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the living God. And what that means is that whatever you brought in here that seems so big and so insurmountable and so dark that you can't face it and that you have no hope of ever overcoming it, to be a part of the people of God is to realize that the living God is active and he's present and he's moving. That means hearts can come alive. That means bodies can be healed. That means darkness can be pushed back. That means that Jesus is present. 
through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I so want for our church that by God's grace, we grew in over the course of the last year and I wanna see us grow in it over the course of this year is just the kind of expectancy when we're going to community group and when we're coming on Sunday mornings that's befitting people that are about to together meet with God. Like that's not just talk. God is here. God is here. And if you're in the room today and you feel like you're bound up, you're in chains, there's particular sins that are eating your lunch, or there's skeletons in your closet that you're hiding from everybody around you, because of the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there's an invitation to you to stand in the light of the living God and to be made free, to be delivered, to be rescued, to be healed. Like the baggage that you brought in today, you don't have to carry it out with you today. And not because I'm great or Collie's great or Charlie's great. We, we can't change you or save you. But the church is the place where God has come to dwell on planet earth. We are his temple. He's here. So gospel community is beautiful. It's beautiful because It's a people that stand under Jesus, people that reject the lie of autonomy and embrace the beauty of authority that's for us and good. Gospel community is brought together because of Jesus. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And fourthly, this is so important, gospel community is about depth and multiplication at the same time. This requires that the people of God are able to walk and chew gum. We love false dichotomies. We love false dichotomies. But what Luke's pointing out is that two things that we tend to divide out as enemies or at least as antagonists in the church were together hand in glove in the early church. Look what he says. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church was simultaneously being built up. That's spiritual formation. That's growth in character and maturity. That's depth in understanding God's word. That's the people of God learning how to pray and learning how to listen and engaging in practices of formation that gave them deep roots so that when storms hit, they were able to weather those storms as oaks of righteousness. But in the midst of all of that being built up, that deep formation, at the very same time, the church was multiplying. People were meeting Jesus. There was evangelistic fervor. There was care for the lost. There was a demonstration of the kingdom that took place in their cities. Sadly, what happens a lot of times in the Western church is that we have churches and leaders that are either all about spiritual formation and it's all about good, deep liturgies and learning to read the Bible and learning to be people of prayer and opening God's word and expository preaching, or they're churches that are really passionate about reaching the lost. And we're going to do anything short of sin so that people can meet Jesus and whatever it takes, we're just going to go to the nations and go get after it. But here's what's awesome. We don't have to choose between people that are committed to deep formation and multiplication on mission. Jesus cares about both of those things. And what should happen in the life of the church is we're learning to grow. So we're learning to grow. So we get together in our community groups and we go through practices that reshape our affections and build new habits as we learn to eat God's word throughout 
the week, not just on Sundays. As we learn practices of prayer and rhythms of grace and fasting and feasting and spiritual friendship, as we get deeper, here's what should happen. Our heart should get lined up more and more with the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus is for those that are far from him. It's to move towards dark places in our city, not retreat from those places. To be a gospel community is to be a people who are constantly being deepened and formed, not so that we can just sort of be like, you know, us for no more Christians that want to retreat from the world, but so that we might reflect Jesus more brightly in the city that he's called us to be elect exiles in so that we could go with the truth of Jesus on our lips. And then lastly, number five, number five, and this is so important. In addition to those things, authentic gospel community is particular. It's particular. Look what Luke points out. He says that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. This is a reminder that the church is local and limited in its local expressions. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you read the book of Acts, one of the things I love about it is that it's kind of like a geography textbook. You get introduced to the names of cities and towns and regions and bodies of water. These are real places. These are local places where the power and the presence of the transcendent God is being brought to bear to change lives. And God is grafting people in, into imperfect communities, not idealized communities, where those real people in real places get to rub against each other. And as they rub against each other, you know what happens? Sanctification takes place. Now, this is so important because throughout the history of being a church here in OKC, there's this constant message that we hear that it's great to just sort of be me and Jesus because we're a part of the capital C church. And we don't really need a local expression of the church because, you know, they fail, they blow it. I got hurt in a church one time. And I get that there's beauty and there's mystery in the capital C church. It's an amazing thing that when God saves us, he adds us to his universal church that's made up of all the saints of old and all those that have gone before us and all those that God's gonna save in the days to come, that there's this beautiful, mysterious body of believers that's not limited and local. But here's the thing, on this side of eternity, the place we grow, the place we repent, the place that we actually get fed and learn to feed each other is not in a disembodied online community. And it's not in an idealized version of the church. It's in the real gritty trenches of being with other imperfect people who have real limitations and real problems. One of the things that kind of makes me chuckle now, even though it used to just sort of drive me crazy, is when people come and they've been to Frontline for like two weeks and they're like, this is the best church I've ever been to. And I just know if you tell me that, that you're on the clock to probably leave within three weeks because you're going to get let down by so many people, including me. You're going to have your feelings hurt. You're going to get frustrated. But there's this thing that takes place in the local church in the midst of imperfection and and sinful, limited community, there's this thing that takes place where my rough edges and your rough edges start coming into contact and we learn that we need the grace of God more than we thought we did. And we learn that extending the grace of God to people that we don't think deserve it is 
absolutely central to what it is to be a Christian, and that's the place that people grow. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not like a commercial for Frontline. If you're not a member here, like we're not trying to talk you. We're not selling timeshares, man. It doesn't have to be this church. There's, there's a lot of great churches that love Jesus and preach the Bible in our city, and we love those churches and love running with them. If it's not here, that's okay. But if you want in 12 months to reflect Jesus more clearly, if you want in 12 months your affections for God to be warmer, if you want in 12 months to be more mature and more godly, that's not something that happens in the absence of an actual particular local and limited group of Christians. That's something that takes place in the trenches of real relationship, real relationship. And one of the most powerful things that you could do is just sort of plant your feet in a Christian community and decide to stay. God, I I thank you. Thank you for the men and women in this room. Thank you that you love us so, so deeply that you work consistently and continually in the church and through the church so that more and more people can encounter you. And I just wanna ask today, Lord, I wanna ask that you would deliver us from settling for uh, pseudo community. Like brothers and sisters with, with nobody looking around, there's so many communities out there that fall woefully short of what you were designed for. And they're not even all necessarily bad. But whether it's Rotary Club or a political party, like you were made for more than that. You were made for something costlier than that. You were made for something deeper than that. And the mystery of gospel community is it's something that we can't create. It's something Jesus created, but we can maintain it and we can enjoy it and we can participate in it. So Lord, we want to pray together that the mission you've given our church to multiply gospel communities would be blessed by your very presence. Lord, we pray that more groups would be sent all over our city to be outposts of your kingdom. God, we ask for more congregations and churches to be planted across the metro. Lord, we pray that you would help us um, in whatever ways, by your grace, we've been able to be generous with other churches. We pray that the next 10 years of our church would would exponentially dwarf everything that's happened before. God, we pray that you would give, give us more grace to give away time and talent and treasure for the work of your church to bless other gospel communities. And Lord, I pray today um, as we come to this meal that you would feed us and nourish our souls. Thank you that your face is shining towards us. And we thank you so much for that first confession the first confession of a new Christian, Jesus is Lord. And we pray that we would make that confession together again today as we eat this meal.